Hear now the reading of God's holy word. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Little children... Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning. Because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So far the reading of God's most holy word may add his blessing to the preaching and teaching of it this afternoon. I really enjoyed preaching that sermon this morning, What is the Gospel? Uh, The scriptures tell us the story of redemption in Christ Jesus, creation, fall, redemption, consummation. Uh, You noticed I cited our catechism uh, frequently in that sermon as well, and I hope you got the message. Our catechism also proclaims the gospel, doesn't it? It teaches us about the gospel of Jesus Christ in a systematic and doctrinal way, and I find it very interesting the way that our catechism does that. Um, First of all, it does that Uh, using the story of redemption. It it kind of, these catechism questions and answers do tell a story. Um, They tell the story about God, about His act of creation, about how He has communicated Himself to us through the Holy Scriptures. It tells us a story about the creation of Adam, of Adam's first sin, of of man's fall into sin and its consequences. Also, the catechism ends up telling us a story about our redemption in Christ Jesus and all of the benefits that come to us through faith in Him. In fact, we're right in the middle of that portion of the catechism right now where we are learning about uh, the benefits of the redemption that Christ has earned for us. So first of all, our catechism tells the story of redemption in Christ Jesus. I also wanted to point out to you by way of introduction today that our catechism preaches the gospel in another way. In the second half, uh, the gospel is preached through the use of law and gospel. Do you remember this about our catechism? Um, At some point, we'll ask uh, what the law of God is, and we will slowly make our way through all ten of the Ten Commandments, and it will be asked of each of them, what does this commandment commandment require, and what does this commandment forbid? And then when we come to the end of that section, in that consideration of the law of God, we will ask, do we keep this law perfectly? And the answer will be terrible news. No, we violate this law in thought, word, and deed. Well, Well, what do we deserve? In brief, God's judgment Has God left us here, though? We will learn, know that God has provided a Savior for us. So then, 
the Catechism preaches the gospel twice. First, using the history of redemption, the story of our redemption in Christ Jesus, and then again, using the categories of law and of gospel. It really is marvelous. I'm encouraging you, brothers and sisters, to value the Catechism, to use it with your children, to use it for the good of your own soul. Um, What does God require of us that we may escape His wrath and curse due to us for sin? Question 90 asks, To escape the wrath and curse of God due to us for sin, God requireth of us faith in Jesus Christ, repentance unto life, with the diligent use of all the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption. That is question 90 after that whole section on the law of God, law and gospel. But here we are considering the work of Christ in the history of redemption. We've considered what Christ has done. And now we are in this section where we are asking, how are we made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ? That was question 32. So how do we come to benefit of what Christ did 2,000 years ago? Answer, we are made partakers of the redemption of purchased by Christ by the effectual application of it to us by His Holy Spirit. Question 33. How does the Spirit apply to us the redemption purchased by Christ? Answer, The Spirit applies to us the redemption purchased by Christ by working faith in us and thereby uniting us to Christ in our effectual calling. And then we have asked, what is effectual calling? And after that, what are the benefits that they that are effectually called partake of in this life? And there we have been introduced to these marvelously important terms, justification, adoption, and sanctification. So, we come to be saved through faith. The Spirit of God gives us the gift of faith, draws us to faith in Jesus Christ. This we call effectual calling. And those who have faith in Christ, who have been effectually called to Jesus as Lord and Savior, they benefit, don't they? We we have benefited from Christ. We have been justified, adopted, and we are sanctified both positionally and progressively. Justification... I would argue, is the most important or foundational thing of these three. Justification is an act of God's free grace. It is an act. It is something that is done in a moment. It is by God's grace alone, wherein He pardons us all of our sins and accepts us as righteousness sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. We cannot enjoy the benefits of adoption, which we will talk about in just a moment, nor can we progress in our sanctification if we are not first made right with God. So justification is the most foundational of these three things. Justification, adoption, and sanctification are all marvelous. They're all wonderful. They're all very important. But we cannot be adopted as God's beloved children unless first justified. When we talk about justification, we think of God as judge. God with gavel in hand, if you will. In justification, we are declared to be not guilty. In justification, we are pardoned. In justification, our guilt is is put to the side. It is wiped away so that we stand before God right and just. Uh, That's a marvelous gift. But in adoption, which we are now considering, we view God as Father. Adoption is, is a very warm concept, isn't it? It's a familial concept. So we see God not as judge, but as father in adoption. And I think this is amazing to consider. In God, we have been adopted by the judge. 
you've been adopted by the judge. The judge has first said to us, not guilty because of what Christ has done for us. And then the judge himself has also said, welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. A judge cannot adopt into his family a guilty criminal, can he? No, a judge must first pardon the criminal and declare the criminal not guilty. Only then can the judge have an opportunity to welcome that once guilty criminal into his home. And that is what God has done for us. He has removed the guilt of sin. He has declared us not guilty so that we might be his beloved children, so that he might be our Father in heaven. What is adoption? That is the question that is before us. Notice that adoption is here again called an act. We are not progressively justified. It's something that is done in a moment. God declares us not guilty. And so too, with adoption, we are not progressively adopted, but we are adopted in a moment. When are we adopted as God's beloved children? When does that happen? It happens when we are effectually called. When God the Father draws us to faith in Christ the Son by the working of the Holy Spirit through the Word preached. The moment we believe, we are justified and we are adopted. It is an act You, Christian, cannot be more or less justified. You cannot be more or less adopted. You either are justified or you are not. You either are adopted or you are not. That is such an important point. I would imagine that some of you struggle with this mentally and emotionally. You think of yourself and your sin and wonder, does God really love me? Does He really love me? Or does His wrath remain upon me? Well, there's much to talk about there, of course. That's the doctrine of assurance, and there's much to say about it. In due time, we will say things about the doctrine of assurance. But the thing that I want you to see here is that justification and adoption are an act. They are an act that God does in a moment so that you cannot be somewhat justified or somewhat adopted. You either are or you are not. And it is all who have faith in Jesus Christ who are justified and adopted. Adoption is an act, and it is an act of God's free grace. It is not something that you have earned. It is something that God has freely given. In other words, it is a gift from God. 1 John 3, verse 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. What is John saying? He's speaking to Christians and he's saying to them, contemplate the love that God has has given to us. It's incredible to think of how gracious and kind God has been to us, that He has made us His children. He has called us children of God and so we are. Adoption is an act. It is not a progressive thing. It is not something that ebbs and flows. It is an act of God's free grace, not something that you have earned, but something that God has freely given, whereby, what does this involve? Whereby we are received into the number. Uh, That means we are numbered as one of God's children. We are numbered as a member of God's family. First, or John 1.12 says, uh, this is not First John, but John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive Him, that is Christ, 
who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Uh, That is what is meant by number here, being received into the number. Uh, Those who are effectually called, those who have faith in Christ, are, are numbered amongst the family of God. What a tremendous gift this is. Whereby we are received into the number, and then our catechism continues, and have a right to all of the privileges of the sons of God. This is a marvelous truth here. We could spend so much time elaborating upon this uh, little phrase and have have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. Um, What privileges are ours as sons and daughters of God? Uh, Well, we have the right to come to God and to address Him as our Father in heaven. We have the assurance of His love for us. We have the assurance of the forgiveness of sins. We have the assurance that He hears our prayers and that He is working all things for good for those who love Him who have been called according to His purposes. We have the assurance of an inheritance, the new heavens and earth that Christ has earned. There are so many benefits that come to us as God's beloved children And we should not forget them. We have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. Romans 8, 15 through 17 is listed as a proof text by our catechism. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs... Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Here Paul is reminding the Christians in Rome that we are co-heirs with Christ. In other words, all that Christ has, all that Christ has by virtue of His finished work, His obedient life, all that He has earned is also ours. I said in the sermon earlier today that Christ rose in a victory and and ascended to the right hand of the Father and is there um, like a forerunner or a first fruits for the rest of us, that He did all of this not for Himself only, but for all given to Him by the Father. We must see Christ in that way. He is like our brother in this regard. He is like our brother in this regard. We are co-heirs with Him. His inheritance, which He has earned through His obedient life and sacrificial, sacrificial death, His inheritance is our inheritance. He earned it for us, you see. And being united to Him by faith, we we have this expectation, this hope, that what He has by virtue of His work is ours by the grace of God alone. It's marvelous to consider. I I love the doctrine of justification. As I have said, it is so very important and it is the most foundational of these doctrines that we are considering. It is so wonderful to have our sins forgiven, to be pardoned by the judge. I really, really love the doctrine of adoption, though. Because there we, we gain even a better understanding of how, how much God has loved us. How rich His love for us is. And how, how rich we are in Christ Jesus. I, I love this thought that, that Jesus did not merely come to forgive you of your sins. He did not merely come to justify you before God so that you're not guilty as you stand before the judge. 
No, he came to do so much more than that. He came to reconcile us to God as Father. He came so that we might enjoy sweet communion with God the Father. He came so that he might bring us safely home into the new heavens and new earth, the place that he has prepared for us. That's a family thing. He's going to bring us home there uh, where the glory of God fills all and we will enjoy his presence forever and ever. There is a warmth to this, brothers and sisters. Um, do not imagine yourself innocent before God as judge. In the courtroom there, in that cold environment, wonderful to be innocent before God as judge. Imagine yourself being welcomed to God's table, to sit at God's table and to commune with Him through faith in Jesus Christ. That's, that's an even better thing, how rich we are in Christ Jesus to be reconciled to the Father through faith in Him, to have communion with God. That is the end goal of our redemption in Christ Jesus, that we would commune with God forever and ever and give glory to His name unceasingly in the new heavens and new earth. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. We will sing and then we will pray together. Our Father in heaven, help us to better contemplate the love that You have shown to us, that You would make us Your children Though we are by nature children of wrath, children even of the devil, of the evil one, you have been gracious and kind to us to pardon us of our sins, to cleanse us, to wash us, so that we would be fit to be your children. Uh, You are the Father of all because you are the Creator of all, but we are at enmity with you because of our sin. Uh, You have given us this ability to cry out to you, Abba, Father, through the work that Christ has done. We are so grateful, O Lord. So I pray that you would help us to run to you to enjoy communion with you, Father, uh, to bring our prayers to you, to know that you hear us, to be reassured of your love for us. Despite our sin, you have set your love upon us by your grace alone, and we are grateful. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.